Welcome to the Gather Houston podcast. We are a Christian community practicing the way of Jesus in all parts of life and for the good of all people. Thank you for joining us today. So today uh, we are talking about one of the more uh, controversial or at least one of the more talked about passages uh, in the Bible. Are you excited? It's drama. It's controversy. We love it. We're here for it. Um, so I, I, I'm excited to get to hopefully do some learning together today and some maybe some unlearning too. So today we're going to have a conversation about Genesis chapter 2. It's sometimes called uh, the binding of Isaac. This is where Abraham uh, takes his only beloved awaited son to be sacrificed as a burnt offering. It's a story about divine violence, about child sacrifice. It's intense. And uh, the real question that most people have about Genesis 22, about the story of Abraham and Isaac, is this. What kind of a God would ask someone to sacrifice their child? What kind of a God would ask someone to sacrifice their child? It's a good question, and I have an answer. If that's your question, I have an answer for you. Uh, but first, let's look about how we get. Uh, let, let's look for a second about how we get to this story in Genesis 22. We've been walking through Genesis, so God creates a good and perfect world. He creates Adam and Eve in it. Everything is ordered and beautiful. And then Adam and Eve decide to listen to the lie of the serpent that tells them they aren't good enough and they don't have enough. And they choose to disobey God, and ultimately they're cast out of this perfect, ordered, beautiful garden. And then because of that, the world starts to unravel. There's violence and death. There's floods and murders. And there's just an unraveling. And then God calls Abram to leave uh, his hometown and start the work of reordering the world. And God tells Abram, I'm going to give you a family that turns into a nation that becomes a blessing for all people. That's the promise to Abram, that he's going to have a family that turns into a nation that becomes a blessing for everyone. But the kind of issue is that Abram uh, doesn't have any kids, so he has no family that, that can become a nation, that can become a blessing. And so there's this long stretch in Genesis of just waiting for the promise of God to be fulfilled. God says, I'm going to give you a family, but Abram is an old man and his wife is an old woman and they don't have kids. So there's this kind of long stretch of waiting. And then finally, in Genesis chapter one, Sarah and Abraham, God has now changed their names. Uh, Sarah and Abraham in Genesis chapter one, they have a son and they name him Isaac. And so the, the promises of God begin to be fulfilled so much has led up to this birth of this child named Isaac. And then in Genesis chapter 22, we're going to read a lot of this, so just stay with me. It says, God said, take your son, your only son, whom you love, Isaac, and go to the region of Moriah. Sacrifice him there as a burnt offering on a mountain I will show you. Early the next morning, Abraham got up and loaded his donkey. He took with him two of his servants and his son Isaac. When he had cut enough wood for the burnt offering, he set out for the place God had told him about. On the third day, Abraham looked up and saw the place in the distance. He said to his servant, stay here with the donkey while I and the boy go over there. We will worship and then we will come back to you. Abraham took the wood for the burnt offering and placed it on, on his son Isaac, and he himself carried the fire and the knife. As the two of them went on together, Isaac spoke up and said to his father, Father, yes, my son, Abraham replied, the fire and the wood are here, Isaac said, but where is the lamb for the burnt offering? 
Abraham answered, God himself will provide the lamb for the burnt offering, my son. And the two of them went on together. When they reached the place God had told him about, Abraham built an altar there and arranged the wood on it. He bound his son Isaac and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. Then he reached out his hand and took the knife to slay his son. But the angel of the Lord called out to him from heaven, Abraham, Abraham, here I am. He replied, do not lay a hand on this boy, he said. Do not do anything to him. Now I know that you fear God because you have not withheld me from your son, your only son. Abraham looked up and there in the thicket he saw a ram caught by its horns. He went over and took the ram and sacrificed it as a burnt offering instead of his son. So Abraham called that place, the Lord will provide. And to this day, it is said on the mountain of the Lord, it will be provided. So it's kind of hard for me to read. I got caught a couple of times there because um, there's a dad uh, about to kill his son. So I almost edited some of that out, um, but I thought we should just read it all because it's a hard passage and we should just like go ahead and look right at it, you know? So the question is, what kind of God would ask someone to sacrifice their child? And I have an answer for you. But first, let's do a brief, an extremely brief history of religion. Okay, are you ready? It's a two-minute history of religion. The earliest humans realized that their survival depended on things like sun and rain. Right? Too much rain, too much sun, everything dies. They don't yield a crop. Too little sun. Too little rain, everything dies. They don't yield a crop. They don't have what they need. Their survival depended on things outside of their control. And so they came to the conclusion, the earliest humans, that there were some unforeseen forces in the world that they needed to have on their side. And so the earliest religious systems that we have are people trying to get the unforeseen forces that they eventually called gods and goddesses on their side. And so when they had a a harvest, they would take a little portion of their crop and they would build an altar and they would offer it to the unforeseen forces that controlled the rain and the sun. Because you need the forces on your side. But you can imagine what would happen If you offered a sacrifice, you took a portion, you offered it on an altar, and then it didn't rain enough. And the sun didn't shine just right, and your animals still got sick, and you couldn't bear the child you wanted to bear. The obvious uh, conclusion was that you didn't offer enough. You didn't offer enough. And so people just started offering more, bigger sacrifices. Because religion had built into it from the very beginning, this thing called anxiety. You never knew where you stood with the gods. The gods are angry. The gods are demanding. And if you don't please them, they will punish you in some way you don't understand. But then sometimes things went well. And it did rain the right amount, and the sun did shine in just the right way. And so as a response, people started offering sacrifices in gratitude. But you had to offer the right amount. Because if you said thank you, and then the next rain was too much, it was clear you hadn't offered enough. It's anxiety either way. When things went well, when things didn't go well, the question was always, did I offer enough? And so the very nature of early religion is that everything escalates. Everything escalates. 
because your anxiety to please the God, you have to offer more and more and more. But do you feel it? It's religious anxiety that just leads you to offer and sacrifice more and more and more. And what's the most valuable thing you could offer to a God? A child, of course. It's why the other ancient Near East religions were practicing child sacrifice. Because this is where early religion took you. That you had to offer more and more and more. This kind of religion steeped in anxiety and sacrifice always required more. And it always leads to the place where you offer that which is most valuable. So this was Abraham's religious context. Anxiety and the offering of more and more and more. And so when God asks Abraham to take Isaac as a sacrifice, he does it with no uh, arguments, no complaints. He doesn't seem surprised at all. In fact, the next verse, verse three, it says, Abraham got up early the next morning and did it. He got up early for the trek. This is what he expected. That's how his world and his religious culture worked. A distant distant God asks for that which is most valuable. So Abraham and Isaac, they set out. And when they arrive at this mountain, Abraham says to his servants, verse 5, Stay here with the donkey while I and the boy go over there. We will worship and then we will come back to you. So this is when all the alarms should start sounding in the story. This is when the status quo starts to be challenged, when your expectations start to be challenged, because Abraham doesn't think his son is going to die. Abraham doesn't think his son is going to die. And you can imagine, uh, maybe remember with me, that the earliest audiences here were listening to this story. This is part of an oral tradition. And everything up to this point sounded like, yeah, that's what the gods do. They ask you to sacrifice your child and that's what you have to do. Except this part, verse five, Abraham says his son's going to come back with them. Okay, this is different. And then again, a little bit further down, Isaac asks Abraham where the actual sacrifice is, where is the lamb for the sacrifice? It's a really uh, terrible question that you have to read. And Abraham says to his son, the Lord will provide. Again, all the lights on the dashboard should be flashing, saying this story is different. The story starts to subvert itself, starts to challenge the expectations and the status quo of what people are are expecting from religion. And then this happens. An angel of the Lord calls out to Abram and says, do not lay a hand on the boy. And God provides a ram to be sacrificed. So the question is, what kind of a God would ask someone to sacrifice their child. And here's the answer, not this one. Not this one. The other gods require more and more and more. The other gods are fed by anxiety, not this one. This God is different. There's no religious anxiety. This God disrupts the familiarity of the story by interrupting the sacrifice. Picture that early audience gasping at that moment because the gods don't stop sacrifices. The gods just act, ask for more, but not this one. In fact, this God doesn't ask for more at all. He doesn't ask for anything at all. This God provides. It's not really a story about Abraham at all, and it's definitely not a story about how we should be so obedient to God that we would be willing to... Uh, sacrifice our own children. That is gross. This is a story about how God isn't who we think God is. 
The invitation of this story is to free ourselves from religious anxiety and from religious insecurity by rethinking our theology. We all have the same anxiety and insecurity that the early tribes of Mesopotamia had. It comes out a little differently, but we have the same religious anxiety. We have an idea that God needs more and more, that God needs all of us, that God needs us to give and sacrifice and martyr ourselves more and more and more. We have the same anxiety, the same insecurity. Are we doing this right? Are we believing right? Do we have the list correct? Are we a part of the right community? Do we listen to the right things? We have religious anxiety. And this story is not a story about obedience at all costs. This is a story about a God who is different, about a God who doesn't demand anything. This God doesn't ask for more. This God gives. This God blesses. The headline of the story is this. This God provides. So one of my first, um, one of my first graduate school classes, master's classes, was a world Christianity class where we studied uh, the most influential teachings and teachers from each region in the world. So when we got to America, uh, we had uh, we had and read a, a really famous uh, sermon by an 18th century preacher named Jonathan Edwards. You, you may know this uh, sermon, but he, he preached a sermon in 1741 called Sinners in the Hands of an Angry God. It's one of, if not the most uh, influential writings. He's one of the most influential people in American Christianity. And this sermon, Sinners in the Hands of an Angry God, is about what you would think it is. But it says things like, God holds you over the pit of hell, much as one holds a spider or some loathsome insect over the fire. God abhors you and is dreadfully provoked. It's one of the most influential ideas in American Christianity. This is the anxiety we're steeped in. And in this first, in one of my first graduate classes, we read this sermon, and the professor, uh, ask everyone, hey, would just by a show of hands, would you raise your hand if you agree with Jonathan Edwards' sentiments? Would you raise your hand? And my expectation was that no one was going to raise their hand. But people started looking around, and you could feel the tension building in the room. And one person raised their hand, and then the next person raised their hand, and then the next person. And about 80% of the class had their hand raised. I don't think because that's how they think of God, but I think they think that's how they're supposed to think about God. And we have so much insecurity about where we stand with God, what God thinks about us. We've been taught and influenced and convinced that God doesn't like us, that God's scolding us, that we're supposed to feel anxious and insecure. Anxiety and insecurity are baked into our American religious experience, but it doesn't have to be that way. It's a lie. It may increase church participation, but it's a lie. You don't have to feel afraid. You don't have to feel insecure. You don't have to feel anxious. Listen, Genesis 22 is the story that reminds us this God, our God that we worship, that we show up here for, this God is different. This God doesn't demand. This God gives. Our God provides. So for you, are, are anxiety and insecurity baked into your religious experience? 
Is that a part uh, of, of how you uh, participate and relate in religious spaces that you just feel insecure? And I wonder if you could pinpoint why that is. Why, why do you feel anxious? Why do you feel insecure? Maybe it's because of some teaching. And for you, how does that insecurity play out? I think all of us, most of us have some religious insecurity. So how, how does that play out for you? For a long time for me, it, it played out in this need to feel and be right, either in my beliefs or in my behavior. So my insecurity was, I have to believe exactly the right thing. I have to believe exactly the right thing, or I have to behave exactly the right way. That's how my insecurity came out. I wonder how the, your insecurity plays out. And how do you think of God, right? That's really the invitation of this story, that we free ourselves from the anxiety by thinking about God in a different way. That, that's our theology, right? We'll say sometimes that our theology is the story we tell ourselves about God. So how do you think of God? What's the story you tell yourself about God? Right? Is God distant? Is God disappointed? Is God pleased? Is God providing or asking? How we think about God is often connected to how we think about ourselves, right? We, we often just project our own displeasure with ourselves onto God and make him displeased with us too. I wonder what the story is you're telling yourself about God. And what would it look like for you to trust that God is providing? To trust that you don't have to get it all right. You know, I, I just, we've gone into all of this, but I just want to remind you, but these ideas of safety and security are at the heart, at the root of what Jesus comes to offer. That when Jesus says, I've come to seek and save, this word save comes from a word that means safe and security, that, that Jesus is offering us safety and security, that he's pulling us away from insecurity, from anxiety and offering security. Or what, what would it look like to trust that God is providing, that he requires nothing from you, that he's not asking for more? What would that look like for you? Maybe just notice the insecurity. Maybe notice the anxiety. Maybe that would be a way to start the path towards trusting. But this is a wild story. It's a drama. It's a drama. It's intentionally dramatic, right? Passed down orally told over and over and over again for thousands of years. And the headline is this, this God provides. And can you see why people uh, told this story? Can you see why it endured for thousands of years? I wonder if you can think of any other stories about a son who was as good as dead for three days but then lived in such a way that he confronted the expectations and the status quo about who God is and was. Can you think of any other stories like that? Give you a hint, you can use your Sunday school answer. It's Jesus. Listen, we, we make Abraham and Isaac into a story about a man who is willing to sacrifice his child for God. And we make Jesus into a story about a God who is willing to sacrifice his child for man. But we all collectively agree that child sacrifice is bad. Child sacrifice is bad. 
And so Abram doesn't get any points for being willing to sacrifice his son. And God wasn't trying to sacrifice his son for us. Right? We all agree child sacrifice is bad, but we're quick to regurgitate this religious language about God sacrificing Jesus on our behalf. God didn't participate in divine child sacrifice. God sent Jesus not to be sacrificed, but to show us who God really is. Not to change God's mind about us, but as an invitation for us to change our minds about God. Because after Abraham and Isaac, there was the formation of the people of Israel, the judges, the kings, the giving of God's holy law, and the prophets. And in all that time, God continued to provide and to provide and to provide, but humanity continued to approach God with anxiety and insecurity. God's providing and humanity continues to be anxious and insecure. And so in Jesus, God provides himself the fullness of God and man. God did not require the sacrifice of Jesus any more than God required the sacrifice of Isaac. God is simply showing us who God is. And too often we spend our religious life, our whole life, living out of this insecurity, hoping that we can change God's mind about us, hoping that if we believe just the right thing about Jesus's life and death and resurrection, then God will see us in a different light. But God has never, ever needed to change his mind about you. From the very beginning, the creation of all things to right now in this moment, God has ever only had one posture towards humanity. He calls us beloved. The invitation isn't for God to change his mind about you. It's not why Jesus came. It's not why we have these stories. The invitation is for us to change our minds about God, to find security instead of anxiety, and to trust in the God who provides. And so gather, this is my prayer for us today. Free yourself from all your religious anxiety and insecurity. God demands nothing and gives everything. This God provides. May you trust the provision and protection of our loving God. Amen. Thanks for listening. If you're interested in Gather, check out our website at gatherhouston.org or visit us on Sunday at 10 a.m.